Welcome to Open Minds Radio with Alejandro Rojas. Open Minds Radio is the UFO News Authority, presenting evidence and the latest news regarding the UFO phenomenon. Here's your host, Alejandro Rojas. Alejandro Rojas, that sounds like a familiar name. Oh, that's me! Hey, it's me, Alejandro Rojas, your host of Open Minds Radio, and we have the most spectacular show today. It's absolutely amazing. This guy is named Antonio Junez, and you may know him from Open Minds Magazine and from the Open Minds website because he writes these incredible stories about UFOs, and we're going to be talking about some of his most recent ones, including UFO sighting by an ex-president of Mexico. It's a really neat story because, I mean, he, he was not shy. I forget, you know, Antonio will tell us the details, but he was like, you know, he'd be in meetings, and if people talked about UFOs, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I saw a UFO. So uh, that's kind of cool. I'd like a Nobel Prize Peace, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, uh, who also wrote about UFOs. And then um, who is the other one? Oh, 2012 in the Mexico thing. Jason and I have talked about that quite a bit, but uh, Antonio also did some research on some of that, so we'll talk about that. So there is a lot. To, he's also just got back, actually, from a couple of conferences on the East Coast, too. He also used to wrestle dinosaurs. He's that old. Wrestle dinosaurs. So we'll ask him what his favorite dinosaur to wrestle might have been. I'm going to guess it would be... I have no idea, actually. It's a good question for him. Brontosaurus. He'd grab its neck and say, ah, and he would say, oh, I just wrestled the brontosaurus, even though the brontosaurus didn't know. No, he's not that old. He is up there, but uh, that's kind of me. That was Jason in the peanut gallery there, and uh, that wasn't me. So uh, some of you are like, hey, man, don't make fun of Antonio. That was Jason. Though. I proudly accept that blame. I love to give him a hard time. Yeah. So we have a great show uh, today. We're going to be talking about all of that fun stuff. And I'm actually in the studio again because I told you that we had this great plan about doing some more remote stuff and that worked beautifully, didn't it? Not. So, of course, we... Uh, but we were able to recover the great interview last week uh, that Peter Robbins had where he talked about uh, Bud Hopkins. And if you were one of the people who listened live and, you know, it was kind of choppy or something, go hook up to your iTunes again and it'll upload the new podcast where you'll be able to see the interview, uh, hear the interview with Peter, and it sounds great. So uh, just in case you're one of those people, I think most of you podcast later on so most of you heard the one that we already edited and sounded pretty all right so that is the show today i'm very excited but guess what comes up first the news ufo news because on openmind.tv uh you always have the latest news also also i'm tweeting that on ufo daily news at ufo daily news on twitter if you want to Twitter news feed. But we bring this character in called Jason McClellan, and he comes in and tells us all about the news, and we have fun talking about the latest and the greatest. So we've got him here with us right now. You heard him making fun of Antonio. Jason McClellan, how are you? I'm great, sir. Yes, that is one of my many jobs is, is peanut gallery. I do fill <laughs> in on that before the news comes in. 
But this is your Open Minds News Brief for Monday, November 14, 2011. An aircraft carrier-sized asteroid known as Asteroid 2005 YU-55 recently passed between the Moon and Earth, making its closest pass to our planet in 200 years. According to NASA, strange structures were detected on the large asteroid as it passed Earth at an impressive 30,000 miles per hour. According to the BBC, two radio telescopes, the Goldstone Observatory in California and the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico. Arecibo. Arecibo. Arecibo is what Americans call it. But it's in Puerto Rico. Yeah, but you can't say it right anyway, so. So are you telling me as a Arecibo. new resident of Arizona, you say Casa Grande? No. What do you say then? Casa Grande. There you go. Anyway, these two observatories, these two radio telescopes, recorded radio echoes off the asteroid, quote, to understand better what it is made of and how it is shaped. Scientists at the Goldstone Observatory assembled a short video of the asteroid using images generated from data acquired with the 230-foot-wide Deep Space Network antenna on November 7, 2011, between 11.24 a.m. and 1.35 p.m. The images used to create this video are reportedly the highest-resolution images ever made by radar of a near-Earth object. And while that sounds impressive, Alejandro, I was under-impressed by these images. I know I should be really impressed, but it's very grainy and hard to make out anything. However... NASA reports that the principal investigator for asteroid 2005 YU-55 observations, radar astronomer Lance Benner of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, stated about the video, quote, the animation reveals a number of puzzling structures on the surface that we don't yet understand. He further stated, quote, to date, we've seen less than one half of the surface, so we expect more surprises. This sounds like a becoming more typical response of NASA to try to hype things up. Yeah, but, exactly. Marketing. Exactly. So are these structures evidence of an extraterrestrial civilization? Some think so, while others think the usage of the term structures in this instance simply refers to anomalies on the asteroid surface. In either case, these structures have scientists puzzled and their identity is unknown. Interesting. It is interesting, and I wonder how intentional the usage of the term structure actually was, and maybe a year ago, I might have not even thought twice about it. I'd just say they're just talking about something weird on the surface. It could be a mountain or something, but they don't know what it is. However, we've seen a lot, you know, on multiple occasions this year, we've seen NASA really playing with words a lot intentional plan words to create a buzz. Because what else, let's think of what words you would use. Let's say you were, we lived on the moon and we took pictures of, just because I was there fairly recently, Arches National Park or Monument Valley, and you would see some weird geological structures. So that might be the term you would use. What else would you use? Some some strange formations, geological formations formations would be one. But I think you're totally right because we know, like they did recently, uh, not too long ago, they made the big deal about the extraterrestrial 
life, and that was total BS. It had nothing to do with it. We were talking about the the organisms that could live in an arsenic-heavy environment. And the press release they sent out, and they they bothered to send out a press release, and the press release was very vague and simply stated that they were going to make an announcement that would impact the search for extraterrestrial life. Yeah, and it was a marketing play. And it worked. I think you're right. I think you're you're probably They're doing right. this more and more. They're they're really playing the game. They they really want to get people interested in space again and, and this is the angle they're taking. They they yeah. know that people are interested in extraterrestrial life, so they really hype this up. Yeah. And the recent discovery of the the uh planet they're calling Tatooine that has the two moons, mm-hmm. they really hype that one up. Yeah. Playing with Star Wars. Right. And they had somebody from Industrial Light and Magic on that to discuss the announcement of that. Right. So NASA's playing a lot of games with their, their PR now. Yeah. Those and it's, I, I guess it's working for them. They're definitely getting the headlines with it. Yeah. Well, on uh, you know talking about the, the phrasing of that, the, the usage of the word structure, we have more strange structures today. Gizmodo reporter... My microphone keeps clicking. Yeah, now it's good. And I apologize to our listeners. I know it's annoying, but it's also annoying to Alejandra and myself because it's very loud in our ears. But his murder reporter, Jesus Diaz, published a story on Saturday, November 13th, about multiple mysterious formations in the Chinese desert. The strange surface features and mysterious structures are visible using Google Maps. The first oddity pointed out by Diaz is a series of wide white lines. This formation reportedly covers an area approximately one mile long by more than 3,000 feet wide. Diaz mentions that the, quote, tracks are perfectly executed and they seem to be designed to be seen from orbit, end quote. He goes on to speculate, quote, perhaps it's some kind of targeting or calibrating grid for Chinese spy satellites. Maybe it's a QR code for aliens. Nobody really knows, end quote. Another similar pattern of lines is located approximately 20 miles west of the first pattern. In Alejandro, these lines that, that he mentions in the article, these are just a couple of the strange formations that appear within a relatively close area in China. There, there are many more that appear to be um, perhaps coded signals, um, code, coded patterns that viewed from space could translate to something. Have you tried to scan them with your iPhone and the little what is I, I, application? I, I haven't because that, that app is specifically geared to QR codes. These don't appear to be QR codes. You never know. It might say China rules. Or oh, I'll, give it a, cool. I'll give it a try. But in some of these patterns, Alejandro, the interesting thing is when you zoom in, you can see that there are like vehicles that are blown up, like scorched vehicles and things like that. So it, it could indicate that you know some sort of space-based weaponry um, testing is taking place there in these these targets, or not necessarily space-based. It could be just uh, artillery or other type of missile testing and stuff like that. It certainly could be, and you know that this, this the vehicles there and the and the, the, the indication of, of scorching of things being blown up. Um, that's that's interesting, and mm-hmm. then there's also. Um, one feature that looks like it, it could be perhaps um, an airfield, a couple of, of runways or something. Um, but one of the things that could be a runway 
is really illuminated. It's very, very vividly blue and very, uh, you can see it from space very clearly. And, you know, a lot of times that, that indicates that you're looking at water. Water looks really weird from, from above. But when you really zoom in on it, it appears that you can see segments of perhaps some material that makes up this runway. It's like a, you know, a long tile or something, but on a much larger scale. Um, so who knows? I mean, it, 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 you can't speculate that it could be a runway that's made to be extremely visible from the air, which could lead you to then say, is it for UFOs, for, for spacecraft to be able to easily identify it? coming from the sky. Hmm. Who knows? That's a stretch. I mean, that's just pure speculation. However, at the top of one of these runways, there's this um, big square on the ground. It's the same color of the runway. It seems to be attached to this runway, if it is runway. And there are lots of like holes, not, not really holes, but, it, but circular areas that appear to have been blasted with like a, a laser or some sort of explosion happened there. See tons of these, these holes, and some of them do show signs of what could be scorching or where something had blown up, mm-hmm. and they're just littered all over the place. So mm-hmm. if this is a, a, a runway of some sort, either they have terrible pilots there who are crashing all the time or something is being blown up there. Well, if you go look at Kirtland Air Force Base in the Manzanito, Manzano Mountain, mm-hmm. you'll see all kinds of weird stuff that we have. There's secret projects and and they look so strange because they do stuff like they do some laser testing, uh, even at White Sands. Wherever they, they blow up bombs, they also have strange shapes or to for tracking so they know how long, how far the bombs went and stuff. Uh, but uh, it's hard to say with some of this stuff. Like That's one of my favorite things to do is just go over by Kirtland Air Force Base out into the mountains and you look at all of the weird stuff that they have there and how strange it is. Like the laser testing lab they have out there is circular. It's really weird. They have this giant wooden structure, and you can't tell what it is from, from a satellite image, and it's for testing radiation on planes where they'll have a plane there, and then there's radiation, um, and there's lots of pocked bomb areas. So. Right. Who knows what the heck they could be testing out there, but uh, yeah, all of the test testing facilities and the proving grounds usually have some really cool stuff to look at from yeah. from space. Well, everything looks so bizarre from space, you mm-hmm. know, and then zooming down on it. I yeah. mean, this is a view that we're not used to seeing. But Maybe. those patterns that you were talking about at first, it's funny because it, they look like modern art or something. Well, not modern, 70s, but they look like 70s artwork or something. Right. And, I mean, when you fly in an airplane now and you look out the window, you know, you do see a lot of lines yeah. and things that look weird from the from the oh, air. Yeah. And, you know, what is that? That reminds me of a harrowing story. A harrowing story? Yeah. Well, you can't tease. You must share. Yeah, I wanted to share this with the listeners anyway because I, I think I almost died. Yes, you need, you need to share this story. So I'm landing in Phoenix, and it's I'm coming from Grand Junction, and it's a propeller plane, one of the bigger ones where it seats, you know, four across, but it's a propeller plane. We're coming in for a landing, and all of a sudden, the plane takes a hard, hard left where we kept turning and turning and turning, and I thought we were going to flip all the way upside down. I mean, we kept going, and then finally, he flipped hard right where we just went the opposite direction before uh, centering out and then coming in for the landing. But it was like, it was over the city. 
where this happened because when he leveled out then you could start to see the salt river and you know he we flew over right over this building right here so i could see the building and the and the asu stadium uh then i knew we were like gonna land but it was the freakiest thing i've done a lot of flying and a lot of traveling i used to travel for work I've never had anything like that happen. So did, did another airplane almost hit you? We don't know. We asked the stewardess, and she wouldn't tell us. She said, I don't know. She said, but that's what she suggested. She said we might have needed to avoid another plane. But I don't know what the protocol is. Maybe she's not supposed to go ask because it didn't appear like she did. But one of the pilots, when they opened the door, you could see he was pretty flustered and freaked out. So I'm hoping somehow maybe I can give him a call and find out what happened. But... uh I'm glad you mentioned an airplane chair. I'm glad you remembered to tell that story. (laughs) That's pretty freaky, but I'm glad you made it back here. I made it. All right. And then my poor dog, it was the first time she'd flown it because I had her with me. Yeah, she's not going to want to fly again. She was pretty upset. That's a bad first experience. Yeah. Jeez. Well, Alejandro, here's a story (laughs) that I definitely want to squeeze in here. So our good friend Lee Spiegel of the Huffington Post reported that NBC cameraman R.D. Willis contacted him after seeing the buzz and confusion created by the New Orleans UFO video. Many of you are familiar with that video that made lots of headlines. It was a video that was shot during uh, an NFL football game and outside the stadium. When NBC returned from a commercial, they showed this footage, and there were at least three lights that zipped behind the cathedral. And so that got people buzzing about uh, about UFOs in this video. And we talked about this a little last week. And while most of our conversation was garbled, I hope some people heard us talking about it. Yeah. But, um, you know, when we looked at the video, we could tell that it was a time-lapse video. And that's something that a lot of people writing about this. When you looked at it. About this video. Well, I'll say we. That was a good call. Uh, it was definitely a time-lapse video. Yeah. And when you know you have a time-lapse video then it's less mysterious yeah. because the thing that was super weird about this video is these objects zipping by through the sky really right. fast. And going frame by frame, you could see they were flying behind the cathedral, which meant they weren't bugs close to the screen right. or close to the lens. So just just with that alone, you think, wow, we've got these big objects zipping through the sky. That's pretty freaky. But then with the time-lapse video, you know that the objects were moving considerably slower in real time. So with that, um, the cameraman, R.D. Willis, was actually the photographer who shot the footage that we see in that video, and he contacted Lee Spiegel at the Huffington Post because he saw all this buzz and and people being confused about the video. So he contacted Lee to clear up the confusion. And he said, um, if you watch Sunday Night Football on a regular basis, you will recognize my time-lapse videos throughout the telecast. Um, he pretty much goes around to, I believe it's Sunday night football. And every Sunday night football, he takes his camera rig and sets up and does these shots for the NFL, for NBC. Mm-hmm. And it's very common in sports. If you watch sports, you'll, you'll notice as you pay attention. Yeah. And they come back, and it gives it sort of a cinematic effect. It's, yeah. it's a very, very showy to do these time-lapse things when they come back from commercials. And it was good of you to notice that it was time-lapse because uh, usually with time-lapse, they're showing the weather, the sunset, right. or maybe it's when big the clouds and come in, right. and the clouds come in, even during the games to show you what a ni- how nice it's been, or the clouds coming in during the game. Yeah. But it was just night, 
So that's, I think, why it was hard to tell it was time-lapse because you usually, why would you time-lapse night? Well, and, and with his particular setup and the way he does it, it is so cool and, and different mm-hmm. because of the process he does. If you watch the, the, the video, it's kind of confusing because you see this dolly shot where the camera's actually moving as the time-lapse is taking place. Mm-hmm. And so even our producer here, um, Tom Ruffin, when we watched the video together, uh, wow, I wonder how he did that. It had to be a pretty elaborate setup. And so what, what this photographer, Artie Willis, told Lee Spiegel is that, um, quote, I move and manipulate my Nikon still DSLR camera with a computer-controlled pan head and dolly. This technique makes my time-lapse video motion seem more like real-time motion when, in fact, they are a series of still images played back very quickly. Hmm. And he even provided... Lee with a video showing his setup and how it works. It's very cool. He's got this still camera on a dolly on this track, and it moves, and it's controlled completely by computer. Hmm. And that 30 seconds of footage that we see in that video actually took him more than an hour to complete. Wow. So um, addressing the UFOs captured um, in his video, Willis told the Huffington Post, quote, the flying rods that are seen are actually single airplanes that happen to fly through the screen during each long shutter exposure. Because of the precise, repetitive nature of my camera support rig, one plane pass seems eerily like a UFO streaking through the sky. So as he was shooting this footage, he was watching the airplanes come in for a landing. Mm-hmm. So he knew without a doubt that they were, they were um, airplanes, commercial airlines coming in for a landing at, at the nearby airport. And so unfortunately, you know, this new information should put to rest any question about what the mysterious lights were, but there are sure to be those who refuse to accept the airplane explanation. Yeah, that was funny because when Lee Borer did me that story, he wrote something like, unfortunately, some people might get mad because I'm, I'm showing what this really is, but, you know, you just when you're searching for the truth, you got to share the truth, Yeah, uh, which I agree with him 100% there, and uh, it was really cool of the photographer to get a hold of him. It really was, and he provided Lee with the with the original footage he shot too, so it didn't have the the network's um, advertisement popping up. So you could see the whole video straight wow. through. So that paired with the video of how his camera rig operates, you know, gave Lee the full story and and wanted to really help people understand what they were seeing. Yeah, very so, cool. Yeah, it was great, and it was great for for Lee Spiegel to let us know about that story as well. And Alejandro, I want to touch on one more story. The story is uh, a little old, but we didn't get a chance to get to it last week, and I I thought this one was kind of fun. But three Scottish kids were shocked when they saw a UFO on October 12th. The three boys were near Bridgen Court in Dingwall, Scotland, at approximately 7.30 p.m. that Wednesday night when they noticed a UFO above the trees that was, quote, quite big in size, but it wasn't going very fast. Cody McKenzie, one of the boys who witnessed the UFO, told the Rothschild Journal, quote, We were sitting down on the curb when we heard this loud humming noise. We looked up and saw the UFO just above the trees. I thought it was a UFO right away. It was shaped like one and had colored lights turning round and round underneath it. We didn't see anyone in it, but the lower part of it was a silver color. You could tell that because the lights were reflecting on it. Cody also claims that he, his brother Keelan, and a friend also saw black helicopters in the sky at the same time they saw the UFO. Cody describes hearing another UFO in the area, but he never saw that one. The boys 
say they were frightened by the mysterious object and feared it might land, so they quickly returned home. According to the Rothschild Journal, a northern constabulary spokesman in Dingwall said police had, quote, received no report of unexplained activity at that time. But Cody and the other kids know what they saw that night. And Cody even created a sketch of the UFO to show his parents. It's cool little, like, typical kid drawing of a UFO yeah. and crayon. And, but they were genuinely frightened when they saw this mm-hmm. thing in the sky, and they ran home. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. You know what? Before you're done, though, um, I wanted to ask about a couple other stories I don't think we were able to – because we, we had to – I don't think we were able to get to before that are really interesting. I'm not prepared, so I say no. Yeah, you can do it. Go ahead. You're very, you're always prepared. Go the ahead. Robin Leach one. I don't know anything about, about that. Lee Spiegel. I, I'm I'm a poor fellow, so I don't know anything about that story. You were telling me about I'm not rich nor famous. You want to get to that one? Yeah, just if you could share, because that was kind of a cool story if you could share with the listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm prepared for that one, Alejandro. Thanks, buddy. Well, Robin Leach, a show business journalist who is well-known for his 11-year TV series, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, is fascinated by mysterious phenomena, including UFOs. As he explained to the Huffington Post, it's something that's interested me from way back when in England as a newspaper reporter. Again, journalist Lee Spiegel recently interviewed Leach about his interest in UFOs. Spiegel revealed that he and Leach are actually good friends, and the two even went UFO hunting together in Maine back in the 70s. When asked if, if, if he had talked to uh, many celebrities about UFOs, Leach explained that he hadn't really ever brought up this subject with any celebrities for fear of being considered, quote, weird and mad. But he continued, quote, but we do know that over the years, everybody from presidents of the United States to major dignitaries around the world, and certainly some of our NASA space boys, they have claimed to have seen and photographed unexplained flying objects or phenomena. Commenting on his friendship with Spiegel, Leach paid Spiegel the tremendous compliment of calling him the leading expert in America on unexplained phenomena. Wow, cool. Pretty big stuff. I'm going to try. Robin Leach, lifestyles of the rich and famous. I'm glad How you went that? there. I wasn't going to do it, but <laughs> but you frequently uh, uh, try to pull out your Nick Pope. So yeah, well that's that's pretty cool. I think it's cool. And that what's cool is uh, Lee's story because he has the like the video of him talking with Robin Leach, and it's just kind of in the conference room. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool story. It's kind of cool to see that. Yeah, old buddies talking about their old UFO hunting days. Yeah, and it's cool to see so many celebrities coming out and talking about UFOs and, and stuff. And I wrote a story recently on the celebrities tweeting UFOs. Although I think, you know, I wrote it with Billy Ray Cyrus, um, Demi Lovato, and Posh Spice. What's her real name? It's Posh Spice. It's uh, Beckham. Victoria mm-hmm. Beckham. Correct. All tweeting UFO sightings. Although I think that Victoria Beckham and Billy Ray were kidding. I do too. Uh, but I think that Demi Lovato doesn't seem like she was. Her and her friends seem to really see something over. Oh, I agree with there you. There was a video yeah. and they seem like, you know, they're giggling little girls out having fun. But well, I think they were giggling because the reporter seemed to really be hounding them. He seemed yeah. kind of like a creepy dude. But. Yeah. So that was, but that was kind of real. But it's kind of neat. We've had other uh, celebrities recently where there's no bones about it. Right. Uh, you know, I saw a UFO and they're very being very clear. So that's why I really like that story. Well, it was uh, and Robin Leach. Everybody uh, used to watch him. I certainly did. 
good old yeah. 80s. Yeah. But uh, in the today's episode of the Open Minds Update with Maureen Ellsbury, she mentioned that, uh, Jim, that Jim, Jimmy Kimmel um, recently commented on UFOs on his show. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, he, he, said wanted it, Obama he said to... it, if you were elected president, the first thing he would do is march into the White House and demand to see everything about UFOs. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot again. <laughs> the Royal Society. Sorry, I've got nothing new there. That's a great story, but I mean, we I don't think we talked about it. We didn't talk about it, and... That's interesting. The, the Royal Society sort of followed suit, um, with, like the FBI and um, CIA and CIA and the uh, UK. Yeah, the Ministry of Defense. There you go. Um, with putting their their journal archives online, free free access. Um, typically, their uh, content has been paid access only, and Unfortunately, that still applies for newer publications, but stuff where the, the copyright has expired, so things that are 70 years or older are now available free of charge. So you can go back and read about Ben Franklin flying his kite and things way back. I mean, all of our greatest minds pretty much have mm-hmm. been members of the Royal Society. So there are some fascinating, really ancient documents there that you can read that were published in one of the uh, Royal Society's journals. Yeah. But the Royal Society um, historically has has very openly published um, articles about extraterrestrial life. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been more so um, recently, in recent yeah. times, with um, Ted Peters about religion yeah. and the effects extraterrestrial life has on religion. Yeah. Um, we had him on the show. He was great. And Paul Davies has has been a, a yeah. key presenter at the Royal Society conference. Yeah, they've done uh, astrobiological conferences right. uh, lately. I know Nick Pope was really excited. And Nick Pope, who went to him, said that the scientists were more open, and he said he didn't want to name names, but there were scientists open to the right, that was UFOs behind the scenes, right. you know, during lunch, but they didn't want to talk about this stuff publicly. Right, and I think he talked about that on this show. Yeah. And the Royal Society, for people who don't know, a very old and prestigious scientific organization in the United Kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, more of which older. Stephen Hawking is a member and, yeah. and several. Other, I wonder if they're more prestigious than the Ministry of Magic or if the Ministry of Magic is incorporated with the Royal Society. I'm sure it's a branch. Yeah. The secret branch. Secret branch. The secret hidden branch. Well, awesome. Those are... Great stories uh, that I wanted to touch on. Well, I'm glad you got those out, Alejandro, yeah. I'm glad I could contribute. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, remember, you can check out all these stories and more at openminds.tv, your source for UFO-related news. I am Jason McClellan, your Open Minds News Correspondent, and you have been briefed. Back Thank to you, Alejandro. You. Thank you for telling us all about your briefs, Jason. My briefs are everyone's briefs. <laughs> That's great. All right. Jason is airing his briefs in public. But I wanted to touch on those stories because I think those are big, great stories in ufology and they're real news. I mean, this is the real news. I think this is the stuff in uh, UFO research that we need to pay attention to and that garners uh, more attention because they're also something that helps with the mainstream. You know, hopefully this encourages mainstream people and mainstream scientists to get more involved with this field when you have prestigious groups such as the Royal Society looking into this, when you have Robin Leach 
of the lifestyles of the rich and famous talking about UFOs, you know, more celebrities and stuff like that. Uh, more people feel uh, more willing to come forward. So I love these stories. I think they're really exciting. And thank you, Jason, for sharing. And like Jason and Lee Spiegel for his great work. Like Jason said, if you go to openminds.tv, you will see more about all of this. What else you're going to see on openminds.tv are some stories by this character named Antonio Funes. And uh, this guy, you know, it comes out a little bit uh, once in a while, but uh, he's really got uh, quite the sense of humor uh, as well. He's a, he's a funny guy. So when you hear Jason teasing him, you know, we, we joke around a lot at the office. So, But you might have heard some uh, little coughing in the background, and that's Antonio getting his voice ready. <laughs> All right. Hello, Antonio. Hello, Alejandro. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Good to see you again. Good to have you on the show again. Yeah, it's been a while. There we go. All right. Well, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. And maybe to start off, uh, maybe we'll go kind of chronological in that the latest story that you wrote um, and for the web, mm-hmm. at least. And the latest one you wrote for the web was... Um, the interview with the Nobel Prize winner, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Right. And so maybe tell us about him. Well, you know, he's probably among the five or something better-known writers in the 20th century. Extremely well-known writer. He's originally from Colombia. And his uh, best-known novel is A Hundred Years of Solitude, which is a fantastic novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's part of what they call the magical realism. So even in the novel itself, it has like a lot of kind of paranormal phenomena and things like that. But this is really an old interview that was done by a Spanish encyclopedia of uh, UFOs and space in the late 60s. I believe this interview, well, it came in installments and it was sold in newsstands. Each, each week, you know, there would be a separate installment. It was about UFOs and the race for space. That was the subject. The encyclopedia was called Cyclope. And, of course, in our website, we have the the cover of that particular issue, and we also have the original Spanish interview with him. So um, they interviewed a lot in this particular issue. Uh, they had interviews with a number of people, um, most of whom are totally forgotten now. I guess they were mostly figures, cultural figures in Spain. Uh, some were writers, filmmakers, um, actors, uh, as well as even regular people. And like I said, I couldn't even recognize most of the names. This was back in 1969. But Garcia Marquez, of course, was already famous at that time uh, because already the the 100 Years of Solitude was published, I believe, around 67 maybe or 66, and it became an instant bestseller. But he wasn't the, the monumental figure that he later became, you know, because he wrote many other uh, famous novels. And, of course, in 1982, he, he won the Nobel Prize in, in Literature. So, uh, basically, he's... Um, and he won the Nobel Prize for that book? But yeah, and for other books as well, okay. but particularly for that book. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, in this interview, uh, it's a one-page interview, and uh, they ask him, well, do you believe in UFOs? And he says... Yes, I mean, in fact, he has a funny quote, and I don't have it in front of me, but he says that the, the kind of the absurd thing would be not to believe in UFOs. And, uh, and then he also makes a couple of other interesting statements. He said they've, seen, they've been seen 
since the Knights of the Bible. So in other words, he's right. leading to ancient aliens. And then he talks, he also makes a critique of the science, modern science, saying that uh, basically um, uh, science is becoming too dogmatic and too close-minded and that it should be more visionary, like in the days of alchemy. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the basically the gist of the of the interview. Yeah, it got. Um, I noticed that. Funny enough, I I bought that issue back in nineteen. I think it was either eighty three or eighty four. I was twice in Buenos Aires, and I remember going to an old um, where they were selling you know used books used bookstores. And uh, in Buenos Aires is a city. I bought it like at two a.m. Where stores are still open and there's a lot of uh, activity night nightlife activity. And I saw this couple of issues, which I wasn't familiar with, and I bought them. So I've had, I read it all the way back, but then I forgot about it. And then what happened is a blogger... When you bought it, did you know that it had that story in it? Uh, well, I probably browsed it and, uh, you know... Oh, and you yeah, saw it, yeah, and that's yeah, why I you bought it. it. And that's why I bought it. And I yeah. bought another issue that contained some UFO cases in Argentina and mm. elsewhere uh, with nice illustrations and so on. Then what happened, I'd kind of forgotten. It was, it was buried in my files. And uh, then what happened is the blogger with El Tiempo. El Tiempo is the most famous Colombian newspaper. Published it on the web maybe about a year ago or so. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people in the Latin, they had never been translated in English, by the way. So uh, thanks to Open Minds, we put it in English for the first time. But a lot of Spanish uh, blogs in Latin America did catch up. And I guess initially they thought it was it was a new interview, but then eventually some researchers wow. realized that it was an old one. So we have there the complete uh, story in English and also the original uh, in Spanish for anybody to see. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's it's not new, but uh, it is new to especially the English-speaking yeah. world because they haven't been able to they read it. They never read it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if uh, have you heard. I don't know if people have even known that he had spoken about UFOs? Probably not, yeah. except maybe some old-time researchers who have good collections or something like that. But most, that's why he caught up on the web, on the Spanish blogs, because they thought, hey, Garcia, everybody knows Garcia Marquez, even if you haven't read his books, you know, you've heard the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also ambassador of Colombia, I think, to UNESCO. It's, it's a really prominent figure now. He's, he's, he's pretty old, but he's mm-hmm. still active. And he used to write newspaper columns. Well, he was originally a journalist in the 50s, and actually, I remember I used to read some of these newspaper columns because they would be published in many Latin American newspapers. And I remember that uh, not on UFOs, but he did uh, touch upon paranormal or Fortean subjects. I remember one particular column he wrote about ghost hitchhikers. Oh, really? Yeah, which I saved and it's somewhere in my files, mm-hmm. but you know, I'll have to find it. So he's definitely an open-minded yeah, kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if you read your books, you understand why. Because his mm-hmm. books, even though they also have a lot of social issues and historical issues about Latin America and, you know, and economic exploitation and things like that, but they are immersed in a sort of fantastic environment. Mm-hmm. And they do have some paranormal phenomena, too. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of times these, these fiction writers uh, who are great, uh, you know, literary figures... People assume that everything they're writing is metaphorical. Right. Um, but when you look into it, a lot of times it's both. It's metaphor, but even when they're using uh, paranormal phenomena, it's because it's something they're open to as well. Yeah, obviously. Anything mm-hmm. that a writer writes, 
even if it's fiction, you know, it's based on something, some experience. doesn't have to be necessarily a, something that he really lived, but it's something he studied or researched or read about it, or mm-hmm. there's some reason, right, why he's putting it in, in a work of fiction. But the other great thing about the story is that it's great to bring up, you know, to, to people who think that, oh, only crazy people yeah. or crackpots, you know, believe in UFOs. Well, this is a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, in literature, one of the most yeah. prominent writers in the 20th century, you know, and, mm-hmm. and not just being, he's not even being ambiguous, saying, well, maybe UFOs exist, he say, and he also says that he believes they're extraterrestrial, you know, yeah. he says it just up front. And what, the other thing that I love about finding stuff like this is that just like, I think we had you on before and we've talked about, or I know we're on Coast to Coast, we talked about it, and we wrote extensively on the uh, files that came out uh, with the UK, some of them new, some of them not, but just showing some of the back and forth between Lord Hill Norton right. and Ralph Noah's. And the, you find from these people who are very articulate, you find some great statements. Right. You know, like you said with Marquez talking about how it's it's kind of crazy not to believe in this stuff. Right. Yeah, and uh, well, and I don't know if you discussed it with Jason in the news section because I, I I only caught about half of it. But our buddy, the well, I wish he was our real buddy, but I mean, kind of our buddy, <laughs> the Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, he's back on the news. Oh, really? Did, did you talk that with Jason? Yeah. yeah, what happened is a new biography was published, and it's about his early life, his early years, you know, I guess up to the point or early in his marriage with Queen Elizabeth. And there, there it is, right in the introduction, his, his obsession practically with UFOs. Really? Yes, how they used to invite people, witnesses, and of course, I, as you as you remember, I wrote extensively yeah. about in uh, about the time of the royal wedding. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we had a series on our website. Is this an official authorized biography? I don't know if it's authorized, but it's a real book by a famous author and yeah. so on. And not uh, that I've ever known him to be shy about his no, book. no, and uh, he's always been quite actually quite upfront. And they mentioned stuff that, of course, we, we knew. I mean, certainly I knew. Um, but uh, it, it'll probably be a revelation to a lot of people that read the book that he was a subscriber to Flying Saucer Review, the famous British magazine, that uh, they even had witnesses come to Buckingham Palace yeah. to talk about UFOs. Cool. And then that he had all these generals, including Sir Peter Hursley, who was his equerry. Equerry is an old uh, term in, in British royalty. He basically... It used to be a very important, it's like an aide, but equity comes from, from equestrian, right, from horses. It was the guy in charge of the horses in the time of the kings, you know, the Middle wow. Ages. So it was an extremely important position because yeah. horses were transportation. Yeah. And, uh, and the title remained, you know, given that the royalties tradition. Yeah. Right. So this, this one particular general, uh, who's later a general in the Royal Air Force, he even claims, and this was published in, uh, well, in his own memoirs, but also in a book by Timothy Good that he met a guy in an apartment in London that claimed that it was an extraterrestrial. Mm. And this guy at one time had the codes for the nuclear weapons in, in the UK. So Did they verify the codes were real? <laughs> you probably wouldn't know. They actually, the book, they quoted some, uh, some official, unnamed official saying, oh, oh, if only people had known that the guy that had the codes was, uh, was seeing Little Green Man. But of course, the man he saw was not a little green man, you know. This, these are the kinds of ridicule statements, you know. Uh-huh. Which is discussed, in fact, in the Nick Pope, you know, admitted that the MOD, the Ministry of Defense, 
as one way to minimize the, the importance of UFOs. Was Literally. To, yeah, right. Little. Yeah, to call, you belittle them, right? To call them, to call the witnesses UFO spotters and, uh, yeah. and, and things like that, little green men. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a standard techniques, but it's just to say hey, this is not so important. Yeah. However, when you read the files, you realize that it is important. Yeah. Well, cool. We've got a, a couple other great stories to get mm-hmm. to, but before we talk about that, I wanted to get into one at least. Uh, before we went back and we got into a couple, but uh, the couple of conferences that you went to just a few weeks ago. Right. Uh, wasn't it two? Um, no, it was just one. Okay. And well, well, I, well uh, yeah, I, I did go to another one, but that was, a, although I, I guess it's been since we've done the radio show, that one was an interesting one. That was uh, a few months ago. That was the one in San Marino. Yeah, we talked yes. about that one, but yeah, I wanted to talk about... Uh, uh, yeah, this one was a smaller one. It's the Mysteries of Space and Sky, uh, and it uh, was created by a professor at a college there in uh, Arundel, Maryland, uh, but it's connected now with MUFON, and my friends, you know, Rob and Sue Swatek, they're the uh, co-sponsors. And, but it's still somewhat connected to the college, although right now it's not at the college, but at, uh, at a hotel. It's still so cool that the uh, professor put it yeah, together. Yeah, and some of the students came. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these students came. And um, it was a one-day affair. It was just a couple of weeks ago. Do you know what um, he teaches? I guess science, okay, uh, cool. but I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I guess it is I, I guess it is science. Mm-hmm. And so you know he and he's been pursuing this. But the college initially they did go along, but they were reluctant. So mm-hmm. finally they decided they were always putting too many obstacles. So finally they decided to just do it done the wrong way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was one day affair. It was uh, not too big, but it was a very nice conference. And they had uh, you know a few of the local people from uh, MUFON and so on in the Washington D.C., Virginia, and Maryland area. And um, the best known speaker, you know, I mean, besides open minds, <laughs> was uh, George Snap. Of course, mm-hmm. you know the the KLS uh, TV reporter, yeah. and we've done his show in coast to coast many times, and he of course uh, talked about the, the 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 ranch, you know, in Utah, the oh, okay. Skinwalker Ranch, mm-hmm. and it was quite quite fascinating. Now, you did you talk about Marquez there? Uh, I don't believe I did. No, because no, usually no. I know you like to cover a few subjects. I did talk about a recent story that I um, it was basically my my the same lecture that I, it's sort of my official lecture, you know, the one I did for the Congress, mm-hmm. the International Perspective of Ufology in the 21st Century, where I discussed the South American agencies, which I wrote extensively about in both in the web and in the magazine, and a lot of the other stories I covered in the magazine, the Rockefeller Initiative, the Vatican, and the United Nations, uh, a little bit about the French space program, uh, UFO desk, and a couple oh. of other things. But I did add one slide because I, I thought this was a significant story which somehow didn't catch as much attention as I would have hoped, which was the sighting that I discovered by Luisa Echeverria, the former president of Mexico. Right. That perfect segue into that, going south of the border. Let's head south and talk about this sighting. Cause yeah. I, you know, it's funny. It's just like we're talking with Jason a minute ago and uh, talking about these stories we're talking about now. I mean, these are the stories that should be getting a lot of attention by the press. You're talking about credible people, incredible um, circumstances. Uh, you know, it's really great stuff, but it really doesn't gain much ground. No, because there's so much 
sensationalism and yeah. vulgar stories, you know, floating around. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make fun of, I don't want to, I don't like, as people know on the show, I don't like to make fun of people or anything. But, you know, uh, I'll mention at least a story going around that just oh, is yeah. so wild and out there. The and Mar- it's like, yeah, it gets <laughs> yeah. attention, you know, Obama, two people claiming that they spotted Obama on Mars. I know. And, I mean, come on. And this know? is uh, the kind of story that really kills the credibility of ufology. Yeah. You know, I know it's a minority, but sometimes they're vocal and they they're all over the web. And uh, but we have these. You know, you don't even need to. Uh, we have all of these other great stories that uh, I wish got. Sometimes don't get the uh, level of attention that something like the, this Obama Mars story gets. But. You know, let's talk about the, mm-hmm. the president of Mexico and, and this story. Yeah, well, this, um, of course, Echeverria was uh, the, uh, with the PRI, you know, the, 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 uh, the what is called the Revolutionary Institutional Party. Basically, it's the party that was created as a result of the Mexican Revolution, which ruled Mexico all throughout up to until Fox, Vicente Fox was elected. But once the elections became real, more democratic, you know, finally, they had it, but it's still a very prominent party, of course, in Mexico. And he was the president of Mexico in the in most of the 1970s. I know I, I remember you liked this part of the story. Uh, the story came through a prominent Mexican ufologist, very old now. He was the generation before Jaime and Alsan. His name is Pedro Ferriz. And he used to be a famous broadcaster. In fact, he had been president of Mexico's National Association of Broadcasters at one time. And he had written many books on UFOs. Uh, he was, the, like I said, the main guy in Mexico in the 70s and 80s. Then Jaime came in in the 90s. And he still acted, but he's very old now. So he was telling a story that uh, when Echeverria was president, they used to have a breakfast, I don't know, every six months or so, with all the broadcasters. It was an informal meeting. It was not on the air. You know, it was just for the president to meet all the broadcasters and, I guess, you know, discuss, uh, talk, you know, what was going on in politics and in the country and so on. So uh, they had this breakfast. I think it was in 1974. And um, Ferris was, of course, there. And everybody knew that Ferris was involved in, uh, in UFOs because he had been very vocal and had published books and done many radio programs and so on. So at one point, the subject of UFOs come into the conversation, and the other journalists are making light of the subject. You know, they're like beginning to kind of make jokes, and then and it looked like it was going to go in that direction. And then the president says, "I've seen a UFO," and then everybody like stops him, saying, "Is he kidding or what?" And then he just straightforward tells a story that uh, it was. Um, he didn't get the date, and I had to kind of investigate and put it together. As it turned out, the sighting was in the 1960s, when he was not the president, but he was the minister of the interior, which is the number two job in Mexico. There is no vice president in Mexico, so ah. or secretary of government, actually, they call it in Mexico. So if something happens with the president, this, then the secretary of government becomes the president. So it's the number two job. And, of course, after that, uh, he became the president. So he was already an extremely prominent politician. And he was at a home that he owned uh, in Cuernavaca. And he was there with his wife and with a lady whose name right now I forgot, but it's in our website story, who was the founder, was a prominent um, uh, dancer, was the founder of the Mexico's National Ballet. 
I'll look up the name here. I got yeah. it. Uh, Amalia. Amalia Hernandez. Amalia Hernandez. Yeah, we have a nice picture of her dancing and everything. So they were there, and then suddenly there was a blackout in Cuernavaca. Everything went dark. And this is a little bit reminiscent, actually, of that famous story that we discussed in the program, too, the one in Argentina. Remember at that town in Argentina when people saw the UFO near the dams? Mm-hmm. So same kind of thing. There's a blackout, and then uh, the witnesses, in this case the president, Amalia Hernandez, his wife, as well as the neighbor, see the cigar-shaped object on the sky. And it's there. They, they describe it. It says it was like an illuminated pen. Now, once I, I, so I had to do a little bit of a research on, on the web and also on my files to try to put together when was the date of this occurrence. Because from the article, it appeared that it had happened only like a couple of months before this breakfast. But as it turned out, the only case that was a blackout in Cuernavaca with a widespread UFO sighting was, I believe, in 1965. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the web article. And so it had to be that. And this sighting not only was seen by Echeverria and Amalia Hernandez, but also by everybody that it was somebody in that city, by the mayor, by the chief of the army in that, in that area, and by the governor of the state, among others. And they all saw this during the They all saw the, yeah, because what happened is there were two events going on. One was the dinner at, a, at the Lions Club. So when things went dark, I guess people went outside to see what's mm-hmm. going on, and there they saw it. And the other people, the governor and some of the other officials, were attending a special screening of the movie in a downtown theater in Cuernavaca. Obviously, the blackout happens, the movie is done, you know, everything, the, you know, the projection stops. So again, they go out and they see this thing. And this was reported in the press at the time, but not Echeverria sighting. Because Echeverria was in his house and he didn't tell anybody at the time, or maybe he told his friends, but I mean he didn't he didn't tell any journalists or anything. So that story didn't uh, go public until many years later, thanks to Ferris. So when the story came out, was it a big deal in Mexico? I don't think so. Uh, Ferris mentioned it in one of his books, uh, but only in passing. Doesn't give any description. And then I discovered in the, in the website, the official website of Mexico's uh, Association of Broadcasters, he has a blog there, and he published it there. But I, I didn't see that it got picked up by a lot of people either. I found it by happenstance, as it usually happens. I was looking for something else, and uh, I saw the link, and I ended up in, uh, in that story. Actually, I ended up in another website that had a mirror, you know, had, had published that story, but only partially. So eventually I found the, 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 the actual you know, official story, which again, the link is in our website uh, for those who read Spanish. And there it is. But no, I, I don't think it got a lot of attention, even even in Mexico. Is it, it Echeverria? Is that how you Echeverria. Say it? Echeverria. Um, does he, is he still alive? I believe so. Uh-huh. I mean, as far as I could tell from the web, he's obviously very old now, but uh, I, I, yeah, the, I, I couldn't see no obituary. He's still yeah. alive. Yeah, that would be neat to uh, see if you would uh, talk about that again, because uh, ex-presidents, of course, we have uh, Grant Cameron and PresidentialUFO.com yeah. writing about the presidents. We've written all about yeah, yeah, we the American two, presidents. Two American, right? Carter uh-huh. and Reagan. I mean, at least that are on the record. Yeah. 
So it's uh, interesting now the Mexican president now one of them. Do you know of any other Mexican presidents or uh, no, no, or even South American presidents? Uh, well, there was a case with the president of Chile, uh, Frey, Frey's son, because there was a Frey father also in the 1960s who was the famous president. So, but this one is interesting because they didn't really notice the UFO. What happened was that uh, this was in the mid 90s. And I don't I just don't recall the exact date, but I, I have it in my files. And he was had gone to some official duty in the south of Chile, and I guess they were opening a sports complex, I think. Mm-hmm. So they were playing soccer, and the president himself, you know, went and was playing with the ball. Hmm. And a lot of people were taking pictures because I mean, when you get a chance to play soccer with the president, it doesn't happen every day. Yeah. So people were taking pictures of the scene rather than looking at the sky. Hmm. When the pictures were developed, and what's interesting is that it appeared in all the different pictures taken by different photographers. So it was not a camera defect. That's interesting. And when the pictures were developed, you see the president here playing and all that. And sure enough, above in the sky, there's a UFO. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but he didn't see it. But later in a a famous TV program that was broadcast by the Chilean National UFO Broadcast, which was a very large production. Actually, I worked on that, too. I arranged all the American interviews for them. They interviewed President Frey, and he went on the record, and he told the story, and he said, no, I didn't see it, but the pictures were taken, and he said in the, in the photos and the negatives, I guess those were not, still not digital cameras, were taken to the presidential palace, and they were looked by the, wow. by the photographic experts of the presidential palace. Wow. And uh, as far as we know, it was a UFO. It was not identified. Wow. What did the object look like? It was not terribly detailed, but it was, it was some kind of... I mean, it, it, this, I should publish it on the web. There you yeah, go. that's a great story. <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, I I will, we, we, we will put it. I have, I have several of the pictures. It yeah. made on the news in Chile eventually. It was published in various magazines and all that. And the fact that it was... And I have the statement from, from Frey in the interview that he did with uh, Bañados, who's a famous uh, TV broadcaster in Chile. So that's one. And uh, there's others. But uh, I know that Kubitschek, uh, the famous president of Brazil who was the founder of Brasilia. He's the one that uh, conceived the idea of moving the capital to the interior of Brazil, mm-hmm. because up to that point, Brazil had always existed around the coast, and the rest was just forest. So he was a very important figure in Brazilian history. I don't know that he had a UFO sighting, but he is the one, and this is well known, that uh, released the Trindade Island photographs. You know, the famous mm-hmm. case, which to this day, there's controversy. Heavy debate. Yeah. To, this, to this day, every so often, someone comes and explains it as a hoax. But obviously not convincingly enough, because uh, a year later, someone else explains it as a hoax again, or someone yeah. defends it, or whatever. But uh, it was taken by this um, famous photographer, Barauna, on board a Navy ship, a Brazilian Navy ship, off um, Trinidad Island. That the ship was called the Almirante Saldana, and uh, when the it was seen by other witnesses. So even if the photos were a hoax, because um, Barauna was a very skilled photographer, this was the argument that he could have hoaxed it easily because he had the skills. But nevertheless, there was a sighting. So the sighting is still true, you know, even if yeah. the photos were hoax. So at the time, I guess he gave the negatives and everything to the Navy. And the Brazilian Navy did a secret investigation. They were not released to the public. And they gave the dossier to the president. And the president said, this is too important to keep secret. I wish other presidents and the world would follow this. 
and he revealed it to the press, mm-hmm. and he made front page headlines. And yeah. so he played an important role in in ufology. But I, I, I don't know that he himself had a sighting, but he was definitely interested. And uh, and there are other cases like that. Yeah. Sure. So and if people go to the Google Trinidad Island UFO. Oh yeah. You'll you'll find it, and you'll probably if you've been in this field or or perused UFO photos like many of you have, you probably recognize it. Oh, yes. you've seen it before. Anybody that's so been popular. in this field is one of the most famous. And besides, so we published a long story, yeah. remember? Because I discovered a, a, a document by Barauna himself that was not even known in Brazil. Mm-hmm. What happened is he had written this two-page statement and sent it to my old uh, buddy, you know, and mentor, Coleman von Kedinsky in New York. And, and there was even a drawing and everything. And, uh, and this was in Portuguese. And, um, and this, um, when I published it in our website, we, we translated it uh, to English, but we also had the original document. It kind of caused the frenzy in Brazil because here was an original document mm-hmm. taken by the, I mean, written by the photographer that they had never seen. Yeah. So I was contacted, I remember, by Jedaed, and they asked permission to publish it and so on. And I guess the photographer was a character, and there, he's not a credible person. And I guess, although they say he possibly used two spoons yeah. together, so it's a tough and case. It's a tough case. case. And there are these alleged confessions, but the yeah. confessions are always ambiguous, you know, yeah. so who knows? So the debate rages The debate on. goes on. Yeah, interesting. Great. Um, you know, staying down south, but moving back into Mexico, as mm-hmm. we take our UFO travels around south of the border, is uh, some of, you know, Jason and I, again, have talked about this uh, in the last few shows because it's been a lot of news. Uh, this documentary on 2012, oh, 2012 you yeah. had done some investigation on that. Uh, and you also gave, uh, essentially, in a nutshell, how the 2012 phenomena right. came to be. Uh, so maybe let's talk about that first, the history of the 2012 um, well, really, the history of the 2012, first of all, for those who don't know, although I guess by now most people should know, yeah. but uh, the 2012 is the end of the of this cycle, right, of the Mayan calendar, which is the 5,200 or something, 5,000 and something cycle. And it's the end of the last Batum. Batum is, a, is a 144,000 days, I, I believe. So uh, it ends. And there's the one, of course, there are a million interpretations of what this means. And some people think it's the end of the world. Other people think uh, aliens are going to land. Other people think that nothing's going to happen. But, and there's absolutely no agreement there. But there's one agreement, though. Everybody agrees that the mathematical calculation is correct and that the calendar ends on late December of 2012. And... That's uh, just a mathematical thing. What does it mean? That is something else. Uh, I would say that this whole phenomenon, it, interesting enough, it was not started in Mexico, but it was started by gringos. It started in the United mm-hmm. States. And now, of course, the Mexicans have gone along because it, you know, it's going to bring... Uh, Especially lately. Yeah, it's going to bring the income for them. So they're, they're, they're definitely going along with it now. And in, in the article I wrote, I, I, I quoted extensively from a speech by uh, Felipe Calderón, the current president of Mexico, about the, when he inaugurated the Mayan World Program. And this is a big program to promote tourism, basically, and create infrastructure 
and everything, you know, in the Mayan, what is called the Mayan Riviera area, which includes uh, Yucatan and other pro other states in Mexico, as well as Guatemala, Honduras, and Belize. And uh, But to go back a little bit to the history of 2012, I think that the real pioneer of it was, uh, and he passed away, I believe, earlier this year, or maybe last year, but recently, it was a man called Jose Arguelles. You might have heard of him. He was a professor, and he was a man interested in consciousness raising and uh, certainly a very forward-thinking type of person. And he came up with a concept back in 1988 uh, called the Harmonic Convergence. And this was at the time presented as the beginning of the end, the beginning of the cycle that would culminate it in 2012. Now, uh, basically, Argeus was more like a metaphysical character. In his opinion, even though he was, he was not opposed to the idea of aliens, actually, in some of his writings, he did talk about aliens as well. But mainly what he was saying is that uh, this is going to be a, a shift in consciousness for mankind, which still a lot of New Age people believe in. Didn't that have to do with the coming of the Age of Aquarius? Didn't, wasn't that somehow? Mm, well, it is somewhat related but different because the Age of Aquarius is based on the Western Zodiac, oh, okay. uh, so, which, is kind of which we receive from the Greeks which in turn the Greeks got it from the Babylonians mm -hmm. and probably goes all the way back to the Sumerians. But it is a, the Maya is a different tradition. Unless you go with the ancient alien theory, you know. Where, I thought the yeah. harmonic convergence no. had to do with that. No, no harmonic convergence was strictly with the Maya calendar. So they don't have a song like the Aquarius one. No. This is the coming of it. I really want to Besides the, 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 the age of Aquarius, it's only a change of era, you know, whereas the Maya calendar is the bigger thing. It's the end of a whole cycle. Yeah. It would be equivalent in the, in the astrological tradition, in the Western astrological tradition, with what they call the platonic year. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the complete cycle of the, of the 12 yeah. houses. Once, uh, once the 12 houses have gone by, which is about 25,000 years, then, bang, the, the, that's the big cycle. Mm -hmm. And the minor cycle is a change of era, though it's still a big thing because it's over 2,000 yeah. years. And then you get the song. This yeah. is the coming And it's also there's because of this uh, phenomenon of precession, you know. It's not an exact thing. It, 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 it takes over a period of like 100 yeah. years, 150 years for, the, for an era to change into another. It's sort of a phasing yeah. in. So the harmonic convergence, mm -hmm. harmonic convergence. Convergence. What was that? Well, that was, like I said, the beginning of the the beginning of the cycle of the final cycle that would end in 2012. So okay. the cycle between 1988 and 2012. Mm -hmm. And among others, uh, the person that was very much into this was uh, Shirley MacLaine. Right. And uh, I remember I had a connection. That's how I came to meet her. Because Shirley MacLaine had this, we had a friend in common, which was this astrologer, Marcello Gallupi, who mm. also passed away, who's a very well-known astrologer, great astrologer. That's why she was using it. And she was giving her seminars on raising consciousness, you know, her New Age seminars back then, which used to attract thousands of people. But then she decided that this was taking too much of her attention, so she stopped and went back to making movies, although she remained interested personally. But at that time, she was really becoming like a guru, like a New Age guru. Mm -hmm. So this was 1988, and she asked Marcello Gallupi to give a little talk as part of her seminar. This was at the Sheraton in hotel, uh, hotel in, in Manhattan to describe, to talk about the harmonic convergence. So he did. 
and uh, as a result that he was appearing there as a as a as a guest speaker, he said you can bring whoever friends you want. Mm-hmm. So he called me. I remember. So you want to go to the Shirley MacLaine, which used to cost hundreds of dollars, you know, back then. So you want to come to Shirley MacLaine? Sure, I, I, I want to come, of course. And that's how. And then at the end of the seminar, we all ended up at her apartment with Sitchin. Remember, we had mm-hmm. the picture of Zachariah Sitchin and Got that, uh, yeah. uh, our Hollywood magazine. Right, in our Hollywood magazine, in the profile I wrote about her. Mm-hmm. So that's basically it. And uh, since then, of course, uh, in 1988, of course, 212 was still too much in the future, so people weren't talking too much. But uh, although some people were still researching it. Uh, but then came 2000. There was a lot of expectation for 2000. Remember the end of the world, the UFOs are going to land, et cetera, et cetera. Computers were yeah, all going to yeah, be computers screwed. Kind of, yeah, and of course, none of that happened. And so then after that was done, then what's the next, uh, you know, doomsday date? Ah, the Maya calendar. And that became big. And then that's when that whole movement started. And the people started writing books. And actually, Colin Andrews, the, the, the prominent crop circle researcher, was one of the first ones who wrote a book for the Idiot's Guide. Mm-hmm. This came a few years ago. And, of course, he's going to be a speaker at our, yeah. our Congress. our chance to plug the Congress. Yeah. So remember, the UFO International, Cong- International UFO Congress. Right. I got that backwards. Yeah. In late February, you can go and register right now. And Colin Andrews is not only speaking about crop circles. No. He's also going to be part of a panel to talk about 2012. Correct. He literally wrote the dummy's guide. He wrote, yeah, exactly. That's and so funny too, because he's a crop circle guy, but he wrote. The but he was always interested in consciousness too, and I mm-hmm. think it's one of his angles now on crop circles as well. And I'm sure Jaime will talk about. That oh yes, Jaime Musan's really into, uh, especially lately, and he talked about this last time at the Congress about uh, crop circles and their relation to 2012. Correct. Yeah, Kaim is a total believer in 2012, and he thinks that something big is going to happen, and it's going to be connected with aliens and and the Mayans and the Mayans and, and change. Of course, what's interesting, and I I pointed out in my in my story because these people that are doing the movie or the documentary, which are the sons of two famous people, one is uh, 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 Julia Levy, who is the son of the of the Raul late actor Julia. Raúl Julia, and the other one is Juan Carlos Rulfo. Who's the Mexican guy? Who is who's the director? Uh, Julia Levy is the producer, and Rulfo is the son of Juan Rulfo, who's a very prominent Mexican writer, uh, very well known in, uh, in 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 Latin culture. You know, one of the big writers, also the same generation of García Márquez, and um, so these people have been putting these press releases through this uh, outfit in uh, in uh, in Hollywood, uh, the Rap. It's called the Rap. And they're basically hyping, you know, the story, saying that they're going to have all these revelations from the Mexican government about secrets that the Mexican government has been holding. And at least they have one official that's gone along, which is the Minister of Tourism in Campeche State, which is kind of a young guy, a maverick guy. And I think he's gone along because he said, hey, what the hell, you know, I'm the Minister of Tourism. This is going to bring, yeah. uh, this is going to bring people. But the more you look at it, I, I don't believe it. Mexico uh, has a very strong archaeological community for the reason that they have such fascinating ruins, you know, and such an important ancient history. So they got it. And all these, uh, these institutes are funded by the, by the government. They are, many of them are connected to the UNAM, which is the National Autonomous University of Mexico. And they have all these prominent archaeologists. And they, along with the... Uh, 
archaeologists in the United States and Britain and elsewhere, they're very skeptical of this whole 2012 phenomenon. Uh, the official view of, of mainstream is that it's, it's just like a switchover, you know. You end the cycle, it's like a restart in your computer. You end the cycle and it starts again. Like December 31st to January 1st. Right. That's what the official Mexican uh, archaeological people are saying. And now, NASA. And, and NASA as well. Now, if the Mexican government had artifacts or things like that, which is what the people in these press releases are saying, why release it through a documentary done by Americans? It doesn't make sense. They would go through their own archaeological community, would be properly vetted according to, you know, to procedures for archaeological discoveries. Uh, obviously, they're getting some support because that movie is part of the Mayan World program. And in the sense that they are allowing them to film in, in ruins and they're allowing them to film in certain, you know, every, any monument in the world or museum for that matter always have areas that are off the public, right? There are always areas, when you go to Palenque or any of these cities, Maya cities, some of which I have visited, you can see some pyramids and things, but others you can because the archaeologists are working or they're under repair or whatever. And same thing in museums. Museums have basements, right, full of stuff that is not uh, in public view. So I think that in that sense, yes, they are getting cooperation from the Mexican government to allow them to film in, in certain locations and to maybe film certain artifacts that are not on public display. But that they're going to reveal big alien secrets? I, I don't think so. In fact, they also quoted the Minister of Tourism from Guatemala. It's not called the Minister of Tourism, but the uh, tourism uh, Institute, National Institute, something like that, but it would be equivalent to Ministry of Tourism, a man called uh, Novielo, I think is his name. And this happened after I published my two-piece uh, series, although I probably will do an update on that. And basically, the guy, he was quoted also, saying that the Guatemalan government also had secrets that were going to be released in the movies, and the guy came with a statement, with a public statement in Spanish, of course, saying, I never said such thing, you know. Oh, really? You know, we have no, you know, we, we, don't, we, we don't have any secrets about aliens or whatever, so. Uh-oh, so I didn't that, know about that. That's yeah. a bad sign. Yeah, that was denied. Not the Minister of Tourism in Mexico or in Campeche, not, not the whole state, of, not the whole country, but Campeche, he didn't deny it. So obviously he did say those statements. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, it is interesting that, at least I haven't seen yet, that uh, they made some uh, pretty lofty claims of what, uh, Stephen Hawking had said, right. or according to them, uh, and there hasn't been a denial out right. of uh, the Hawking's camp, but that he said something like, well, you know, even if these aliens were talking, oh, no, something more like, although the aliens were talking to the Mayans, uh -huh. doesn't mean that if they were their friends, they're going to be our friends and we still have to be careful, which doesn't actually sound like he doesn't talk like that, really. Right. Uh, but, but it goes a little bit along with his, uh, remember his famous yeah. statement that aliens are some, if they, if they exist, they're some kind of scavengers or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, they claim, these, these guys, Julia and Rulfo, that uh, they're going to be interviewing all these prominent people, yeah. including members of the church and former presidents and, you know, but I mean, I'm sure they're going to, they will interview a lot of people, but I, they're also hyping it, you know, yeah. which is like what any movie producer would do. I mean, there's nothing yeah. unusual about that. What I'm really worried about is that this is going to be a fourth kind situation where they're making all this mm -hmm. step up for some viral marketing, 
And then later on, it turns out that it's not actually a real documentary, right. but kind of a mockumentary. It could be. And if that happens, the, the thing is, is that lots of people in the 2012 community will get real upset. But the general public really doesn't, you know, people will think, oh, what a great marketing scheme. Yeah, I hated that fourth kind thing, you know. I don't mind even, even if you're going to be sensationalist or whatever, but at least be clear, you know. Well, this is a documentary or this is fiction or hype it, whatever. That goes with the territory. But to pretend that you're doing a documentary when it's a fictional movie, because it just confuses people. Yeah. It confuses the people, I mean, not the researchers who are familiar with the subject, by the general public, you know, yeah. and, and then it just models the water, and then you don't know what's true, what's false. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope it's, it won't be something like that, but yeah. I guess we won't know. Yeah, we won't know, but it's really interesting. Um, getting back to the Mexican president um, talking about the Mayan stuff, didn't they even put something about that in their press? Uh, well, they did talk about the end of the calendar, yes. Uh -huh. in, even in this official speech, uh, which we quoted extensively in my article, and we also have the link to the actually the, 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 you know, the, 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 the presidential website in Mexico with the actual speech, but in Spanish. And uh, yeah, he did talk to the two. He did talk, he did address the, um, the end of the Maya calendar and uh, didn't talk about aliens, though, but he did talk about the end of the Maya calendar and saying, well, many people are, but even there you could see the PR angle. He said many people are, you know, in great expectation about the end of the Maya calendar, so come to Mexico, you know, our, yeah. our doors are open, see it from here where it all happened, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't blame the Mexican government. Yeah. I mean, if I was, uh, you know, the Minister of Tourism, yeah. uh, I would do exactly the same thing. It's a, it's a great hype. They didn't even created it they're just going along and yeah. uh, and why not no for sure because you know uh even though i don't think anything catastrophic is going to happen i think i agree that it'll probably just be what it is originally i think it, even intended by the mayans it's just a change of the calendar like december to january but uh it would be really cool and i would love to be at some mayan ruin you oh, know sure. on new year's when that happens just for fun and just yeah. to be there but there is a sociological aspect you know yeah. i mean and i don't completely rule out that at a subtle level there might be some change of consciousness yeah. or something because a 5000 year cycle i mean that's that is something yeah, yeah. but where is a lot of confusion too is in what the so called mayan prophecies right a lot of yeah. people talk about the mayan prophecies but the calendar it's not a prophecy. The calendar is a strictly mathematical thing. And of course, the Mayas were famous for both their astronomy and their mathematics. One of the things that, in fact, the Mexican president mentioned is that they invented the, the number zero. Hmm. That was an invention by the Mayas. Uh, didn't make the, the Romans didn't have number zero. I think in India also they did it simultaneously. But the Mayas came up on their own with the number zero. So they were, this whole thing is a mathematical construct. Now, there are some uh, real Mayan prophecies, too, but not in the sense that people are writing. Uh, they're more like cosmological things, uh, and their they're compilations are uh, usually put down in the colonial period, and one is known as the Book of Chilambalam, and the other one is known as the Popol Vuh. These are two books written in Maya Quiche language and put together in the 18th century, 17th century by Mayas themselves, you know, but already in colonial times. Other than that, there are the codices, the famous codices, but there are only about four or five that are left. I mean, maybe there was a book of prophecies, but as we know, unfortunately, the Spanish priests burned them all, except a couple that were 
survived and were sent to European museums and now they're in Dresden and Madrid and so on. But unfortunately, they because they, it was a method, you know, in their conquest. So there really are no doomsday prophecies. No, no. and there are, in some of the Mayan codices, there are astrological predictions, but they're much shorter term. There are certainly no doomsday prophecies, no. And that's that's the most difficult part, because you hear all about these doomsday prophecy, prophecies. You have the 2012 movie, right? Uh, all about this doomsday stuff, which is really... Yeah, even though in Mayan history there is a doomsday, there were, there were two doomsdays uh, as far as they're concerned. The first one is the most mysterious. It happened around the year 900 AD and is the end of the classical Mayan civilization. And as you know, uh, for some reason, which science and astronomy and archaeology, they don't know yet for sure what happened, they abandoned all these cities. Yeah, it just kind of took off. Yeah, it's not like they, the people left because the people are there to this day. But their, their, their political construct collapsed. That's why the cities were so well preserved because they abandoned them and then they were eaten by the jungle and they were rediscovered right after. But the Spanish never destroyed them because by the time the Spanish came uh, in 600 years later, they, they were gone. Mm-hmm. So then you have the new civilization, the new Maya civilization, which was with an influx from the Toltecs, the Toltecs from Mexico. They joined hands with whatever was left of the Mayas, and they created a new Maya civilization. And this is connected with that uh, great mysterious character, sort of the Mexican messiah, Quetzalcoatl, which also gets mentioned in the 2012, you know, the return of Quetzalcoatl, all that, which Cortes used cleverly the Spanish conquistador, as soon as he arrived, he heard uh, from the people he was conquering, and well, actually, he had a mistress, um, Malinche, the famous character in Mexican history, and uh, because she was his interpreter, but she also became his mistress. Because you have to understand that the Aztecs had subdued a lot of people, too, and they were using them for their human sacrifices and things like that. So when the Spanish came, uh, many of the other subdued nations they saw them as saviors, actually. Here were people that were, you know, basically right. liberating them from their, you know, their masters. So they went along. And that's why Cortés, who had a very small army, suddenly had thousands of Indians fighting for him, too. So he learned about these prophecies of Quetzalcoatl, that Quetzalcoatl, this, this prophet from the ancient days, had, was supposed to return. And he had come from the West, and he was bearded. And Cortes, being a ruthless but a very clever guy, he immediately saw the potential. And sun god, and so yes. Cortes had his armor that glistened. Exactly. Plus, of course, they had fire weapons, yeah. you know, firearms, and they had horses. And the horses terrified the Mexicans. And I, I did, as you know, a lot of research on this because I, I wrote this was in the early issues of the magazine. And I will be talking about this in my next presentation in the Congress, among many other things, I did this article about the importance and the omens at the end of the Aztec Empire and how there was really what today we would call a UFO wave in the 1500s. And they, it was seen as portents uh, of doom, you know, and indeed doom did come. Whatever you believe about comets or UFOs or end of calendars or something, certainly doom came for the Mexican culture at that time, yeah. you know. So uh, that's another angle, this, this return of Quetzalcoatl yep. and so on. And it's a fascinating subject. So yep. in, regardless of what's going to happen in 2012, yep. I'm doing already a lot of research because I, I find it very interesting. Yeah. 
So I can't blame the marketing people and uh, the the tourist people because uh, it's a great place and it's, you know that's all about marketing, reminding people that it's fascinating the history and to come back. And like you said, it is a common misunderstanding that the Mayan disappeared. Yes, they didn't disappear. No. They're still there. They're still there. If when, you go to these ruins, you know some of the people selling you stuff are Mayan. When uh, uh, when you go to Guatemala, my sister was with the UN in Guatemala, and I actually did visit Guatemala in the 1990s. I learned that there are 24 Indian nations, as they call them, but they're all descended from the Mayans. But by now, they even have different dialects and everything. Wow. And uh, so, yes, the people are all there, but the political system, of course, crumbled. And then it crumbled again when the Spanish conquered them in, mm -hmm. uh, in the 1500s. That was the collapse of the second Mayan civilization. But the people, obviously, were still there, and they're yeah. still there to, to this day. So, and then the other thing, um, and it's a little bit of PR here for Mexico. I know a lot of people are very afraid about violence and all that, oh, yeah. but that's in the north of Mexico. When you go to, to Cancun and Campeche, these areas, that's not where all this business of the drug lords and all that is going on. And those areas are much better policed because they, they, you know, tourism is a huge income for Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that, that it'll be fairly safe. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, we've only got a few minutes left mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so I wanted to maybe talk about uh, what you're working on now for the next issue of the magazine yeah I got a couple of uh, a got a couple of interesting stories uh, one is one that I, I combined some articles that I had done on the web uh, but put them all together in, in a single piece and it's about of course the MOD the Ministry of Defense files but not so much on the UFO cases themselves but the politics what was the politics going on? And particularly, I profiled three, three, three people. One is Lord Hill Norton, the former admiral of the fleet, who at one time was the chairman of the NATO military commander, prominent man, who became really a pioneer in exopolitics, what today we call exopolitics, in the late 90s, uh, in the early part of the, of the last decade. He passed away in 2004. He became a formidable uh, foe, I mean, fighter for ufology. And he kept pestering the Ministry of Defense because at that time the Ministry of Defense had not uh, put in place the, the classification policy. So he was, and especially he was interested in the Rendlesham Forest case of December 1980. He wanted the answers on that. And he was a member of parliament and a former defense chief. So these guys of MOD were basically terrified by him and he wouldn't take no for an answer, this guy. I mean, so the, the, the usual, you know, passing the, passing the buck wouldn't work with him. So he would come back, and, and this went on over and over. And then the other character, uh, which I actually, Hill Norton I never met, but the other one I did was Ralph Noyes, fascinating character. He had worked as a Minister of Defense for many years. He retired with the rank of Undersecretary of State. And uh, he, too, at one time was involved in the UFO investigation in the 1970s. And he described in a famous uh, memorandum that was in the last release a, an event that happened where at the time he worked at MOD, when they all went to a theater that he was at the sub-basement of the ministry, and they saw this, uh, whatever, 20-minute or so presentation that someone at the ministry had put together of UFO footage, both pictures, including gun camera film, which you always hear about it, but you never see and uh, though, and he wrote this at the time that our friend Nick Pope was the guy in charge of the UFO desk. 
So Nick immediately said, hey, film, gun camera, hey, let's get our hands on. He couldn't find it. Yeah. He was just banished, banished off the face. So, and obviously yeah. it existed because uh, uh, noise is a very credible source. And so in 1970, this presentation was put together and this footage existed. By the time Nick tried to get his hands on, 24 years later, yeah. it was gone. So that article deals with that. Just like a lot of this stuff, they say, they claim uh, that the government probably, these guys didn't think it was very important. Right. So they threw it out when they, they, they were, were not, rid they of were not file, not film. But I, that's the thing yeah. that, yeah, it's yeah, that when you hear that answer, you know, sometimes I think, okay, well, maybe that makes sense. Like when Leslie Keene and the mm-hmm. Coalition for the Freedom of Information looked for information uh, from NASA, oh, it was thrown out. Well, you know, we tried our best to find it. But when you, yeah, you hear that answer over and yeah. over again. It's like, I can see in guys. some cases it might be true. You know, yeah. if it's one document, one memo, yeah. sure, it got misplaced, it got misfiled. It's, you know, the people in government are human, you yeah. know, they can make mistakes. But a whole thing with film and yeah. footage, even though Noah says it was not dramatic, he said it was yeah. not that great. But still, I don't believe they would throw away gun camera footage. Yeah. No way. And the other story is a fascinating story in the in the history of ufology too, um, which I also wrote in the web. But this is a Kinda much like, uh, just a couple seconds. Yeah, it's on the famous Pascagoula abduction of 1973. Right. You know the Charlie Hickson case and yeah. Hickson and Parker. So I got to but the magazine article will go into other aspects that are not in the web in the web article. It will discuss, for instance, a wave of USOs that took place at the same time. Oh, cool. Yeah. Perfect, because Charlie Hickson uh, passed away recently, and mm-hmm. so there was a lot of news about yeah. the Pascagoula case. So, but just very light couple paragraphs on it. So you'll have a story coming out that will cover it more in and, depth. Uh, and putting it in context. Yeah. Because it didn't happen in a void, you know. It yeah. was part of the 1973 Great. wave, which was an extremely significant yeah. UFO wave. So that's pretty dang exciting. People should look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for updating us on these stories and coming back on the show again. You're welcome, Alejandro. It's Any, always great. Anytime. One of my favorite researchers, Antonio Junez. I love his work and uh, the stuff that he writes. So, But we are out of time Be sure to join us next week on Open Minds. Be sure to check out openminds.tv. And again, you know, if you want that Twitter feed of news stories at UFO Daily uh, News on Twitter, and uh, you can see this UFO news that's coming out on a regular basis, including all of these web stories, uh, information on when the radio show is coming up and who the guests are, and also... Of course, when the magazine is coming out and the latest and the greatest on the International UFO Congress. So check out OpenMinds.com to keep up to date. Thank you all for listening, and don't forget to join us next week. Adios, muchachos.